0: Hello everyone, welcome back, it has been so long since we've gotten to hang out with you guys, it's fun to be back on the air doing this show and we have some, some special surprises. Welcome back to our leftist sports show on the TIR YouTube channel, Beyond the Red Zone, where my lovely co hosts and I discuss sports from a leftist perspective. There have been many obstacles keeping us from doing the show on its regular basis, so it feels so good to be back. Thank you for everybody watching. I was talking with my co-host tonight, um, my normal co-host on this show is Mac from You Don't Know History Pod and also Marcus. And neither one of those got total last minute issues and who decided to come in and save the day but my non-sportsy TIR co-host, that's right the man of the Mau Mau hour, the Pascal Robert.
1: Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings Jason Miles. Uh,
0: I was going to do this show alone and Pascal said, no, 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 no. First of all, you're talking about Deion Sanders. I have some opinions on this. And I was like, you know what, Pascal? Let's rant for a little bit on this because we both have a, like opinions. I think we're kind of on the same team on this. And then let's do something we never do. Let's open up the phone lines feel like a lot of people are going to have opinions on the HBCU conversation, the, the Dion Sanders conversation. I mean, who else can drum up this level of controversy like Neon Dion Sanders? So if you enjoy what we're doing here at TIR, Please give the show a like if you haven't already. Please hit subscribe and don't forget to hit that notification bell so you know whenever we go live and surprise you like this. Real quick, before I pass it off to Pascal, I want to ask him and I want to ask all of you a few questions. Three years ago, NFL Hall Hall of Famer Deion Sanders took over the football program at Jackson State University, a historically black college and called out college football for neglecting these historic institutions and programs that produced NFL greats like Doug Williams, Charlie Joyner, Jerry Rice, Michael Strahan, the all time sack leader, all time receiving leader, and all time sack leader with historically black colleges. And the number one draft pick in 1995, Steve Air McNair from Alcorn State. I actually remember watching some of those games back on BET when they played black college uh, football when he called it black college football after finishing a perfect 12 and 0 at jackson state Deion sanders has announced he's moving from the fcs jackson state tigers and going to a power five conference team in the colorado university buffaloes a school that hasn't had consecutive winning seasons in years and one that also boasts a small two percent black student population i don't know if you guys saw Dion's recent celebration for their undefeated season and they were playing this playing some rap music in the in the locker room and you know all of his players there was the song hook did you see it pascal where the song hook was like i got my niggas or whatever
1: yes i saw that yes you know, my my background music <laughs> my theme music <laughs> yeah yeah and i
0: was like I had a friend posted it on Twitter and he was like, There's no way in the world he's doing this in Colorado.
1: That's a good question. We should get into that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of the you know the a lot of the team building he was doing was really based around racial unity, right? How yeah. is he going to do that at a school like Colorado that historically, even when they were winning in the 90s and then what the mid-80s? they had some decent teams. Always had problems with race relations because, of, you know, Colorado University is in a very non-Black area called Boulder. We spent much time there. Sanders did turn that program around, but he's probably taking his two sons with him to Colorado, where they will be eligible to play next year through the transfer portal. Also, Sanders was able to snatch some high-ranking recruits to go to the historically Black institution something that hadn't been accomplished there before. Will some of these recruits join him in Colorado as well? Will he pick the talent of the HBCU ranks to join him in Boulder? At this level of play, head coaches are a recruiting tool, so Sanders has shown he can recruit with the best of them. Many at Jackson State aren't happy with Sanders' decision to depart, with one student being videotaped, erasing a mural of Sanders on campus and onlookers cheering. So, Pascal Robert, did Dion sell out Jackson State? Or is this just a part of doing business in a capitalist system?
1: I think this is a very complicated question. And I think the answer to this question really depends on what your outlook is on the notion of black institution building. And this is a really a political and philosophical question on the question of race, racial identity, and the role of race in quote unquote community building. As you know, one of the things that we kind of try to fight against in uh, our TRE repertoire, TIR repertoire on race, is concepts of nationalism, racial particularity, or ethnic pluralism, that render black politics into a politics of a containment. But one of the things that we cannot deny is that in the area of segregation and Jim Crow, it was logical that you had institutions that served the needs of black communities because they were precluded from participation in predominantly white spaces. Some of those institutions were historically black colleges and universities, though they were generally created with the largest from white philanthropic funds in order sometimes to create a subpar educational option for Blacks, at the behest of Black people challenging those administrations, these schools eventually came to serve a noble purpose in actually providing educational options for Black students. To this day, they disproportionately serve poor and economically downtrodden or working class and poor Black people. So there is a materialist benefit from having them. But at the same time, the question becomes, how effective are these institutions that many of the more nationalistic or communitarian outlook have towards black political activity how effective are they at challenging or changing the material conditions that actually affect the day-to-day lives of black people if the actual position of black people is that they're still materially at the bottom of the quality of life you know you know statistics that we have throughout the country yet they're the only demographic that have over 105 universities and schools dedicated to their particular education so the question becomes what exactly is the function of these universities and institutions and are they actually having a transformative role in changing the material questions of black people in this country but at the same time I'm not one of those people who advocate dismissing them because I do believe, as I stated earlier, that they have a material purpose in servicing the needs of poor and working class Black people who would normally be discarded by the majority white institutions. So the question to answer your, your larger uh, inquiry, Jason, is do we believe that Deion Sanders made a proposition to a historically black college and university that built a quasi fiduciary duty where he had a duty to that school to build it to where it became an almost independent marketable powerhouse as opposed to this leaving the school and going out and fulfilling his own personal career decisions. And I would say the answer to that question lies In what your outlook is in terms of notion of racial identity. Do you even believe there is such a thing as a black community that requires or needs black black institutions? Or are black people citizens in this country that can use all types of institutions like anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that many black people are still in a position where they still view value in these institutions, even if they still render black social and political life to a politics of containment. But at the same time, we cannot dismiss the fact that there are large segments of black populations that are still serviced by these academic institutions and other institutions, but there are still critiques of these institutions that need to be made, and I would argue perhaps it would be better if we try to radicalize them and transform them than simply destroy them. Because one of the problems that many of these institutions have, uh, uh, HBCUs, or the traditional civil rights organizations is that they tend to fester and develop the same institutions politically we have in the black community, like the black political class and its acolytes. So there there are problems with the way these institutions work and how they function, But I would say that Deion Sanders should stay up to his word. And he came to HBCU promising to transform it and saying he was in for the long haul. And even whatever career options came down the line, I think for him to bolt after three years and take the check is a sign of bad character. I'm not going to say the brother sold out the race or he turned his black on black people. I'm just saying that I think it was a sign of bad character. I think he should have fulfilled his word and tried to stay the long haul at the school in Jackson.
0: Um what's also interesting is um Deion Sanders had a bad history with charter school. Do you remember that?
1: I heard of that. He had some charter school, uh some of his charter schools kind of collapsed on his on, on his watch. I read about uh,
0: that. Yeah. Uh this is from the Dallas Morning News from 2016. The now infamous Prime Prep Academy shut its door permanently a year ago with less than an hour's notice. Students walked away from the Dallas-Fort Worth campuses with no school. Employees left without jobs or paychecks for their final month of work. With tears and anger, the state's most hyped and scrutinized charter, thanks in part to co-founder Deion Sanders, ceased to exist. Long after the school's demise, its legacy continues beyond Sanders' reality show and former prime prep basketball star Emmanuel Mude's entry into the NBA. A pair of lawsuits is still active even after others were dropped. One targets the nonprofit work that led up to the creation of the school while the other was filed by ex-prime prep employees against school administrators and local, state, and federal officials launched investigations into wrongdoing. The school failed not because of tough new rules meant to shut down failing charter schools. Instead, financial mismanagement fueled the slow-motion collapse and led to the school's eventual insolvency. Do you remember this? I mean, he was caught on tape like trying to shake down the the administrators.
1: Deion Sanders has he has some hustler-like elements of his personality. Like, you know, mm-hmm. remember he had that song that song that came out in the 90s? Must 30s, be the money. Must, must be the money. I mean, you know, he is, I don't think, I don't understand why anyone is surprised that Deion Sanders made the decision to go for the buck because he's always made it clear that that was a significant part of his motivation in life. But I do think that the fact that he made such a long-standing a kind of commitment to these institutions demonstrates a a poor sign of character on his part. And I can understand why many people in the HBC community feel that they are somewhat betrayed.
0: What's interesting is when he got the job, I don't remember him really trying to get a job. And there's some people in the comments that have said that he was really trying to, to pitch for a job, but he didn't have a head coaching job. And from my understanding, Dion didn't even coach at any level maybe he coached at the high school or pop warner level his kids so you know much like we're seeing with um presidents (laughs) the experience isn't looked at as a necessary category for your leadership role right um I know you're not a football fan or even that much of a sports fan, but the Indianapolis Colts recently fired their head coach, uh, Frank Reich, who has years of experience as an assistant, um, a, a mediocre record so far as a head coach, um, for unproven Jeff Saturday, who played for the Colts in the, in the late 90s and 2000s with Peyton Manning. Pro Bowl player, but you know no coaching experience whatsoever um, at any level. So Dion kind of falls into a position at a school that just needs butts and seats,
1: right? Well, not only that, some people have made the argument that he actually used Jackson as a training springboard to give him the bona fides he would need to apply to, to more prestigious universities down the line. So I could definitely see where his capacity to actually do that Allows him to make himself more marketable at a certain point where he can say, like, hey, listen, uh, you know, I did my three years at Jackson, took him to a championship, they invested all this time in this school, I could do it for you. So now he's got one edge, one coaching opportunity under his belt, he can now go any further go further and take it, take it down the line. So, I mean, again, for me, this is really a complicated issue because as much as I am somewhat dubious of the institutional claims that many people make in terms of the demand that we have these institutions, these black institutions, oh, black people wouldn't have these institutions. And back to the question I had in terms of how good are these institutions in transforming the economic, political, or social reality of black life as opposed to just maintaining the status quo, there is a kind of argument to be made that Sanders should not abandon places that need someone like him to transform them because no one else can really do it. So if you're not going to have people like Sanders transform the quality of of, of care at these institutions, then then why have them in the first place? Because <laughs> what is the benefit of having a so-called Black institution if you don't have so-called Black people who are going to be able to actually transform them?
0: And he never went to a Black college himself. Deion Sanders went to Florida State University, Tallahassee. Um, correct, correct. I don't know what his recruitment was like. I believe he's from the Wichita. He's, from, he's yeah? from
1: Fort Myers, Florida.
0: Is he from Florida?
1: Yeah, he's from Fort Myers, Florida.
0: Okay. So it's not like there wasn't some HBCUs in Florida he could have went to. He oh, yeah, chose he could have
1: called a, a Bethune, he could have called a fam, he could have called a, a variety of HBCUs. And they were What'd popping
0: at that era when he, when, when he was playing. I mean, Jerry Rice had came out just a few years before as a number one draft pick. Um, out of out of a Mississippi, oh God, wasn't in school. He
1: went yeah, but let's not forget Deion Sanders was a, a prodigy as an athlete. I mean, this is a yes. guy who had two Super Bowls. He actually played in a World Series. He <laughs> he played three sports in, in 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 college. He played football, baseball, and track. I mean, he was a, a an athletic prodigy early on in his life. So I wouldn't be surprised that coming out of high school, if he had a plethora of offers as to where it could go, and let's not forget that Florida is a football machine yes. in terms of where it produces the capacity of kids to go out and get deals to go to colleges. So I'm sure Deion Sanders did not have a shortage of opportunities in terms of where he could have gone to play. And,
0: it, and it felt like he went to Florida State just to rival Miami at the time. Middle Tennessee Valley State. Thank you, Al, for I can't remember which school Jerry Rice went to, and the fact that he went to this you know, black college, to get a coaching job. I wouldn't say that I knew off bat that he was trying to springboard it into a bigger position, but I thought that bigger position would take a little bit longer to get. Um, What's interesting to me is what we see with Dion. Of course, it happens at the college football level, but we see it a lot at the college basketball level, right? And in the college basketball playoffs or the tournament, as they call it, a lot of small schools get in. And these coaches, when they get in at these small schools, it's all networking when they get to the te- the tournament to try to get much bigger jobs. I mean, Dion goes from making $300,000 a year at Jackson to $3 million? $5 million. $5 million at Colorado with incentives for another two for wins at a place where, you know... You're gonna get better recruits. Um, it's not like Colorado hasn't won before. Um, and you're in a conference where you're leave, you're losing two of the better schools to the big ten with USC and UCLA. So strategically, it was a really smart move because now he can position himself to play in much bigger bowl games. And another thing that we see uh, when Marcus and I were in New York, um, sublation had put us up in this uh, like student housing for Appalachian state university. And me and Marcus are like hanging out in this, in this, uh, it's like a dorm setting. And the guy that's running it is, is uh, part of the administration's department of the, of the university. And I guess people take turns working at this place in New York for traveling students. And Marcus, who is a football fan is from the Midwest. And we were talking about Appalachian state. And uh, we jokingly asked the guy, we're like, did enrollment change when the school went division one? And this man turned around and he was like, Oh, he said, when Appalachian State beat Michigan, he said, we got 10,000 new students. Wow. He said, enrollment is up. We're over like 30-some thousand, something like that, because it's Division One now. And me and Marcus were just like, wow. He, and, he, and the guy looks, he goes, football is a big deal in college. Absolutely. When, we, when your team wins, it's a big deal. So I remember working in the Gulf of Mexico and I worked with this big cat. We were around the same age, just real big buff black dude. And we were talking one day and I think it might've been football season and he was from Mississippi and he played at Ole Miss. And I was like, Oh man, he played at Ole Miss. Like, damn the SEC. Like what was it like? He goes, man, it was cool, but I didn't want to play at Ole Miss. I was like, Oh, where'd you want to go? He said, man, I want to be in SWAC wow I was, I was like really he goes that's where the parties is that's what
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the fact that d De- it felt like and maybe this was my projection it felt like when i when i was watching those early interviews with Deion sanders and he was like calling out these schools and, and college football in general for kind of like you know turning their back on these universities it, it reminded me of that conversation and my conversations I had with this brother, um, about how much he would love going to the parties at the, at the SWAC schools and how he just really hated going to, uh, to old Miss. And, um, you you see no
1: party like HBCU hum coming brother i mean this i
0: homecoming. mean they don't have halftime shows <laughs> remember when they had all them halftime shows on BET there was yeah. a whole movie drumline about you know the pageantry of of the the black college band your your favorite friend ibrahim x Kendi, has a whole portion of his book talking about his time at famu and how he was like so into the halftime show. He didn't care about school winning. He loved the, the band. Um That level of pageantry, you're thinking, oh, okay, is it going to come back? And then he just up and bolts for Colorado, of all places. It was kind of like, wow, you just took a job, dude. You just took I a mean, job.
1: I, I don't think we can underestimate the role in which HBCU culture plays in a particular class of black life in america i mean it is a door opener to kind of like the black middle class the black professional managerial class without a doubt there is a class level to it but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a legitimate culture within itself i mean mm-hmm. the whole you know the whole the, the homecoming games the battle of the bands the fraternities sororities All of this stuff is a very large part of the institutional mechanisms that engage in these HBCUs. And it's also part of that culture that allows it to be the glue that allows institutions like the black political class to use these institutions to promote a type of politics that maintains a certain status quo as well. So I'm not trying to down the culture, but the thing is, though, it's used in a way that I think does not make a full effect of transforming the reality of the political life that most black people who are working class and poor, who may not attend these schools, don't get a chance to really, to to benefit
0: from. Um, You know, JB says, maybe Dion thought it would take longer to get an offer, Uh, not defending him either or just trying to justify his actions. You know, I I don't know what went through dude's mind. I definitely think he, he, uh, he had a plan. You know, I don't think he walked into Jackson State going, "I'm going to be here like uh, Eddie Robinson at Grambling for a million years and be right. the winningest, winningest coach of all time." Um, but I would love to know how it's affecting the the student body, really, and how it's affecting admissions because winning football teams. I was talking to Teray about this the other day. Winning sports teams. Definitely affect your admissions, and it's not like Jackson is a is a is a rich city. You know, I don't. They have
1: water problems in Jackson, (laughs) Mississippi
0: right now. Crazy water problems, and all of that gets ignored because of you know Deion Sanders is also kind of sad. But what I want to do is I'm going to try to open up the phone line. So give me a second while I get that ready. I'm going to have Pascal Robert entertain you with his wow more more waxing poetic on his well, throat
1: like the human beatbox or something is that what that the uh...
0: I mean that or you can dance for the money <laughs> but uh you know wax poetic a little bit more on black institutions and your favorite uh your favorite elite capturer booker T Washington
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the origins of how Booker T. Washington comes to Tuskegee is that he's basically getting uh, white capital from philanthropies and the, the northern industrialists and southern bourbon capitalists to finance the Tuskegee machine to create the industrial model of education to kind of neutralize the unity between the Colored Farmers Alliance and the Farmers Alliance to stop the kind of massive massive labor uprising in southern agricultural labor that was going to disturb the function of southern capitalism and allow workers and sharecroppers to negotiate their own seed prices among other things so one of the ways the premier father of one of the major hbcu's uh booker t washington gets his funding is as a saboteur of the economic aspirations of Black working-class people. So uh, it's it's kind of interesting to see how there is a kind of dubious role some of these institutions have had over time relative to poor and working-class Black folk. So, you know, someone asked a very good question. What is the future role of HBCUs in revolution versus reaction? It's a very good question. Is there a mechanism or a way That HBCUs can be radicalized to make them transformative, revolutionary, or or radical institutions that can address the needs and concerns of poor working class and Black people. Or they, unfortunately, are permanently rendered to be institutions of reaction that serve the needs of the status quo. I don't think it's an accident that usually Republican administrations do much better in financing HBCUs than than Democrats because they're seen as institutions that are very, very willing to maintain those status quo. quo. I had a friend of mine who told me at one time, like, you wouldn't be surprised. You'd be surprised at the number of HBCU presidents that are Republicans. I said, I wouldn't surprise me at all. So these are things that need to be
0: considered well the number is up and we never do this publicly we always do this behind a paywall but uh call in 626-873-8658 give us your opinion on this current situation with Deion sanders born center says No, Jack and Jill wasn't established for that. HBCUs are for secret biracial love childs and black bourgeoisie excellence. (laughs) Oh, Oh, we got some calls. We got some calls. Are you ready, Pascal? Let's go. Okay, this is the, the, was the first call. Yeah, see how this goes. We, opening it up to the public. Is just it's very frightening for us, caller. What is your name and where are you calling from? Uh, my
2: name is Evan. I'm actually calling from Hawaii. Oh, um, wow. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well, it's, um, peace and greetings. It's an honor to be on the show. I've, I've been. I've learned so much just from listening to you guys, um, especially you, Pascal. Um, I just want to say, like, when it comes to Deion Sanders, I was a Division One athlete. Oh, um, and like from a player, for, yeah, from a player perspective, um the connection, like, the game of football, was way more political than anybody thinks it is. Because even in the NFL, the only way you can even get a job isn't so much because of your abilities, nominally as a player, is whether or not coaches like you and general managers like you, and if you don't piss off white money, because that's what controls the NFL. And Mm -hmm. Deion Sanders was getting general managers from the 49ers, the Bears, the Panthers, and all these people he used to work with. And his whole fraternity, I mean, that's just what he was. And if you really remember him as a player, he was a corner. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a transformative player like a lineman. He he played on the perimeter. He changed the game. Not really changed the game. He just benefited himself. If anything, he did exactly what Barack Obama did at corner. Mm -hmm. He did it before anybody else did. Mm. and that and we really looked at how he played the game and then how he handled himself as a coach again he wasn't a public official he's a coach he won games and he did exactly what he was going to do sure he could have been a vessel for change but from a leftist perspective i mean let's be real he didn't jump in that jackson water crisis because the mayor jackson and the governor of mississippi were beefing back and forth rightfully so and he, if you watch the video, his son has a YouTube channel that's worth your time watching. Um, he just stayed out, of it, he basically stayed out of the fight. And as soon as you don't get in that fight with a little bit of leverage you have, because you don't want to lose that Walmart money, that other donor money and HBCU um, grad based on only that kind of donor donation basis to get money to the schools. I mean, it, it just is what it is. But I was like, he's gonna, he, that, that should have been the tell. And if you're really relying on Deion Sanders to change, like HBCUs and black culture, you got to remember the vice president of the United States is a divine nine graduate, um, graduate from HBCU, and, you know, a woman and the vice president, and nothing's changing. So, I mean, that's just how I feel about it.
0: Well, thank you very much for your phone call, and we will be doing more of these call-in shows for free, as we call it. The free call in. That's dope having to having a, a D1 athlete call from Hawaii. I love it. I love it. When when all aspects of society become part of the left. <laughs> <laughs> you ready for another call?
1: Let's make it happen.
0: Um I'm again, I'm kind of shocked. Kind of shocked. Um let's go for the next call. Caller, what is your name and where are you calling from? <clears throat> Doctor Claw, calling oh, from Cleveland, Ohio. Doctor Claw, I had a feeling that you would want to call in on this one.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, although I want to say, uh, the caller right before me said a lot of the things I was going to say,
2: <laughs> so I'm going to
3: kind of go back. And um, because I've been seeing this whole discussion about Eon on the timeline, Um, I really felt that with Pascal, when you guys were talking about the angle y'all talked about um, how um, the perception is so different than reality when it comes to this thing. When when I saw the thing of him going to Colorado, I was like, okay, whatever. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. is college football. This happens all the time. Like they move mountains to get. Uh, Lincoln Riley over to, uh, I think it was, you know, USC and um, same thing with any other coach that like, you know, big time coach that comes with a big time program. So Colorado him moving to Colorado, I mean, it is what it is, <laughs> kind of how I looked at it. But I was really surprised at some of the discourse that was coming about because of this. And I think it's because of, you know, the historical nature of HBCUs as institutions, um, I'm very much like Pascal, I was like, okay, well, what are these institutions doing for, you know, um, at least in this day and age, for um, building, I guess, your part in building the ideological superstructure around uh, Black politics, so on and so forth. And um, the other thing that I thought about was, in all these cases, is just how, um, for lack of a better term, the football industrial complex in this country. Mm-hmm um not too long ago um i think it was last weekend i went down to Massillon, ohio and one thing that stuck out Massillon is south of canton ohio down uh interstate 77 it is um you know where the football hall of fame is Massillon is very close to there and one of the things you notice if you ever go into Massillon is like all of this imagery and promotion of uh, their high school football team the tigers it's like everywhere it's like and I'm thinking this is the part of the state where a lot of the industrial uh you know the a lot of the industrial stuff is not really like you know huge like there is like you know you know Heinz and I forget what the Kraft Heinz has a factory and stuff like that nearby and a few other industries nearby. but it's it's not like what it once was. you can tell it's one of those towns, but I just noticed that like they just so prominently featured in cities in the city. I come from South Carolina is like that too. We had the one of the longest tenured and highest like number of like win you know total like coaches coming out of my out of my town. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, high school, even at the high school football level, it's like there's this big like you know um, satellite industry to kind of build off of that. And of course, at the college level, in a lot of these college towns, that's a big deal. Um, you know, if your college has a football program, so that's kind of the things I kind of thought about with this. It, particularly hbcus in the politics of those hbcus and i think the last caller was kind of talking about this mm-hmm. with like you know who's the benefactors of those schools nowadays like where that where's the money coming from and how does that influence a lot of the things you see especially when they have like you know programs because i think yeah there definitely has been a shift there's it, it many have always been like this but i think it's a different more like i think obvious shift in recent times like you know who are, who's actually, you know, it's not always coming from alumni. Like where's the, some of the money that's coming into these institutions coming from and what purpose is that assured So I was wondering if there was any questions that you guys had about that same sort of thing.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Claw. We're gonna, we're gonna uh, take your answer off air as there's some more calls coming in. That was TIR call, Dr. Claw, Pascal, do you want um, Expand
1: on. That. Yeah, I mean most of these schools are pretty much underfunded. They defend they depend largely on federal funds. They don't get too much alumni funding because large amounts of the black community don't have the kind of wealth transferring as the whites that go to elite schools do. So they are perennially underfunded and demand the resources from the state or private source, or or they actually have private public partnerships with corporations as well, nonprofit, industrial complex, what have you. So very few of them are research one research one institutions. So, I mean, they're kind of always, you know, they have their, their had out often in terms of getting their money to finance. Them. And that's one of the reasons why Deion Sanders' capacity to dedicate so much of his own resources to Jackson State was considered to be such a major bulwark for the school because he actually invested his own capital in mm-hmm. improving facilities like the actual stadium and other things as well.
0: They did get a new sports facility, from my understanding.
1: Yes, they did. Yeah.
0: But who you, this is another interesting question. So Dion doesn't come from that world. Yet he went to go coach in it, and succeeded. Are we going to see other candidates? Because that's like that's he used racial politics as his reason to go to to Division One, Colorado. He was like, "We need more black coaches to coach was, against white boys."
1: It was it was so slick. I mean, he Dion is he's not a dummy he's very slick he's very eloquent and he played the hustle very Mm. effectively
0: Mm. It it, when he made again i think you gotta be kind of like paying attention to that kind of stuff and because there's so many white voices in sports and because a lot of the conversation has to be strictly race-based right to the point where it's almost offensive right um That I think these conversations are really hard for these cats to have. It's either dude's a sellout or he's just doing what's right for him and his family. And when he took the job at Jackson, the first, he's like, I'm a millionaire. I don't need the money. Right. And now all of a sudden, you know, well, he's got to do what's right for his family. It's like, well, make up your mind. It looks like his family's okay.
1: And I'm uplifting the race by going to be the first black at this school. It's incredible.
0: Gonna, yeah, because you know all my beige kids just got a, a kick in their step. My son called while we were on the air. He was like, "Did you hear?" D-? None of that happened, of course. But what is what is he really uplifting in this? And you know, in in doing some research because uh, there was a conversation I was having with Adolf and a bunch of other people who were like major sports fans when there was a coach in the NFL that sued the league on racial grounds. I think he's one of you people, wasn't he? Wasn't he Haitian? Brian know. Flores or Dominican? Anyway, he's definitely colored. <laughs> <laughs> one of you people. One of the things that was interesting is, is going back into looking at who were the, like, who's the first black head coach in the modern NFL right and Wayne Fonts was a name that came up and most people don't think about Wayne Fonts because he's Cape Verdean part Cape Verdean and he coached the Lions for a few years and then I'm looking at all these black assistants and there's tons of black assistants in the NFL and there's even more in college football there's tons of black assistants in college football and there were some interesting articles on these black assistants that were like we don't really want head coaching jobs we have really great jobs and our, this is what our job consists of. And it's easy. Not everybody wants the glory. I think it's kind of a glory position, but it is an interesting conversation to have is like, you know, why aren't there more of these cats in head positions? Is it just a racial system that says we don't want you? um, Or do they not want the jobs? I mean, what do you think it is? You think it's a little bit of both? It's a tough
1: question. Man. I mean, I mean, I think that maybe the opportunity in terms of viewing the capacity of having black coaches is still relatively new. I mean, we're definitely coming along with that. But there might be an internal aspects of the nature of the coaching jobs vis-a-vis how the assistants feel comfortable where they are. That's denying them the desire to take those opportunities. I can't call it. I'm not qualified to make that. I'm not enough of a sports insider to know the answer to that question.
0: I mean, I was shocked when I, when I got into the numbers about how many assistants there are that are like, mm. I mean, that coaching, that head coaching position, to me, it's like someone that doesn't want to get into management. Not everybody wants to get into leadership positions because you really, your time will not be long. Right. I'm a Denver Bronco fan and we just hired a head coach. The team lost like five games in a row. Everyone's calling for his head. Not one person has said, oh, you know, maybe next year. No. Fans have no patience with anything. With anything. And the fact that the few black head coaches that I've actually had the, the privilege to see in my 45 years of life had some pretty good runs. Marvin Lewis in <laughs> Cincinnati had a very long run for winning like one or two playoff games mike tomlin in in pittsburgh is on a very long run you know in my lifetime the steelers have had three coaches i'm 45 pascal they've had three coaches since i've been on the earth Mm. you know and one of them mike tomlin has been there jesus like 10 years or so over 10 years right but enough of that we have another caller Caller, what is your name and where are you calling from? Full Black from Dallas, Six. Oh my goodness! Welcome to the show.
4: Oh God bless y'all, man. Salute to you. Salute to your uh, co-host. Salute to your panel. Can y'all hear me clear?
0: We can hear you loud and clear, brother.
4: Okay, I'm gonna make it clear. man. I'm gonna come in from a different perspective, man. You know, uh, I'm gonna give it to a lot of people. You know what they don't see. The difference in Dion and, and the Dion impact is he was a father to a lot of kids before a coach. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people try to gravitate and wonder about money and wonder how certain people go handle certain situations. By him being in Dallas and taking over a program, which is Little League, and turning Little League into a whole different perspective of football, that that is what makes him who he is. Okay, let me just give you an example. He raised his kids out of Dallas. He had a program called Truth. Uh, the program was based on sports, mentoring, and a lot of single parents. If he was a single dad, a single mother, anything. and It, it was people coming from around the world wanting to play with Dion. So when Dion, his impact is different. His impact is such as, like, when he step on, on – on, he can go anywhere, man. And when he goes somewhere, he makes sure that the player. Is, is mentally ready to play football. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of kids uh, don't understand that he wasn't even from Dallas. Man, he's from Florida. So for him to come to Dallas and do a lot of things and do different things, that will make him who he is. Now, when he was coaching Trinity, coach a culture place, he'll, he'll get it right. And it's not that he'll leave; he feel like that his job is already done. Mm-hmm. You know. uh, the difference on how he raised certain kids is different than a normal parent. Uh, he don't he don't put the NFL aspect on people that he was in the lead. Uh, he lived a regular life, such as if uh, if his kids wanted to do certain things, he made sure they did it. He always made sure that certain kids was capable for what he was doing. Now, when he coached troop, uh he did that like ten years, probably like ten years, ten or twelve years, man, and. A lot of these kids that went to college, some of them in the NFL, and some of them still in college. So what makes him different is when he steps onto a D1 college such as Colorado, mm-hmm. all the kids gonna gravitate. That's why we, when they open up a, a transfer portal, just think about how many people have come to Colorado. They're not coming for Colorado just because Colorado uh, was a losing team. They're not going to Colorado because it's cold up there. A lot of kids don't don't care what the situation is when you get around Dion. Dion going to make the program better. Uh, Any kid that that know how to play football and want to play football, you got to know what you're doing around him. And if you don't know what you're doing around him, they're going to teach you. He was teaching kids from five years old to 12 how to play football. A lot of kids play football a different way. And Dion brought the situation in where he brought certain coaches in, which were ex-NFL players. He brought certain people in off the streets. That, that, that nobody gave a chance to, and once they got with Dion, man, everything changed. Dion changed lives. He changed. He changed a lot of things. He changed. Uh, you know, it, wherever violence at, Dion made sure that you know that he on top of that. And, and one thing about it is, by him being in Colorado, you're gonna see a lot of kids end up going to Colorado just because of Dion. It's not because of Dion Sanders' prime time number twenty one Super Bowl. No, it's because of the father figure that he is, and he raised kids, man, like no other, no others, man. And, and when I tell you that, I just wonder why people like Jimmy Smith, Jerry Rice, you know, why they didn't do the same thing when they was uh, from his when they was in Mississippi. You know, everybody had that same uh, objective to do certain things, but for him to come in and coach with no money and, and want his coaches to get paid, that should show people that should show people a lot about. It what type of dude he was. And, and don't get me wrong. When Dion was down here, Dion did so much great things, man, to where a, a lot of people were knocking him at first. And once they understood what he was doing, they kind of understood on what type of effect that he do. You know what I'm saying? He had a big old house up there in Cedar Hill. He had he had thousands of kids going up there. Mm-hmm. He had a house in Prosper. He had thousands of kids going there. And, and a lot of coaches, they do do it for the money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not saying that you can't feed the family, but he's the type of cat, man, where he don't look at this stuff, man. And now that he in Colorado, mm-hmm. he got a chance to make a lot of kids' life better than any other coach. And take my word, within two years, within two years, Colorado is going to be top of the chart. That's because once, he get, once people feel like that, you know, everything is settling and everything is, is where it's supposed to be, they're going to gravitate to him. Now, it, it, a lot of kids don't worry about words how cold it is. He could have went to Hawaii. He could have went to Hawaii, and it was kids go travel to go there with him. That's because of what he done did in the past and what he done did for people. And I'm talking about when I tell you that, mm-hmm. it, it's different having the Dion effect. It's different because the kids that he raised down here in Dallas, man, when I tell you, then he raised a couple of them from around the world that came down here and flew. Check this out. Yeah, he had kids that flew in to practice. Flew in to practice, young kids. They flew in just to play for truth. And Leon there with thousands of kids, man. I'm talking about thousands of them. That's why when he do certain things, he do it a certain way, just like on just like Shador. We all know that Shadour is gonna go up there, but Shador not gonna start if he don't handle his business. If if Shador don't do what he got to do on that field, still not accepting that. You see how he left his other son because he in the doghouse right now. It don't matter who you is. He loves his family love his kids. Now, you feel what I'm saying, I,
0: I, I feel what you're saying, and I, I want to add this. I, I want to add this, and I don't know if you can hear me. If you, um, can you hear me, brother? I can hear you. Okay. Um, yes, sir. What's interesting about what you're saying, is, and, I, and I'm not trying to dispute anything you're saying. I'm agreeing with what you're saying, right? A person like Deion Sanders can come in and be transformative to a community. Jackson, Mississippi is, I believe, the poorest city in America. Pascalum is not that right? That'd
1: be one of them, that's for sure.
0: It's one of them, if not the, and also had a horrible problem with the drinking water, and we kind of just talked about that real briefly, that Dion stayed away from that. That's, I'm not even really that mad about that, because I don't know too many coaches at any level of any sport that get that involved. Right with those sort of issues. That being said, the transformative power of a person like you're explaining can do way more good in an impoverished area like Jackson, Mississippi than he can do in an extremely well-to-do area. Extremely well-to-do area like Boulder, Colorado. And that's where I, I I I find so, I have some issues I think as someone I'm not a football coach I've never had that that level of transformative power I worked with homeless people brothers very different uh but I feel at home in certain environments and to leave Jackson, and you're right. None of these other players came back. Jay Rice's kids go to Stanford. Emmett's or go to SC. Emmett Smith's kid go to Stanford. Barry Sanders' kid went to Stanford. These guys are setting their kids up in prime time networking positions that are far beyond sports. And the fact that Dion, Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you, go ahead, go ahead.
4: Check, check, Matt. Mm-hmm. When I say Jerry Rice, Brett Favre, and Jimmy Smith, they had the same opportunity that Dion had. Mm-hmm. For Dion to be from Florida, come from Dallas, they had a better chance of helping the area out way before he got there. Mm-hmm. He got there in three years and did a lot that a lot of them didn't do or wasn't trying to do. The, 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 the difference is on, on, on what he's doing is moving on up and doing already he already did what God asked him to do. And, and and God asked him to come and change the program, change the outlook of things. And he did that. Like I was telling you, what he did in Dallas, he did the same thing in Dallas. He set it up, he left everything how it was, and other coaches came in and continued. Okay, now if they was expect for him to keep going to Walmart to get water. If they were expected for him to keep cutting the grass, which the city could have cut it, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of things under the table probably that went wrong that we don't know. There's probably a lot of things that went sour that we don't know, and he still ate. It. You know what I'm saying? When I say he ate it, he still looked at it like, you know what? I'm not gonna worry about him, just do what I gotta do. Mm-hmm. And we and it's gonna get done. By him being the person who he is before athlete, that what makes him who he is. Now keep in mind, a lot of ki- a lot of coaches fighting the earn every night, 24 hours a day, wondering if they players gonna get it to the transfer port. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, Dion coached a lot of kids at a younger level. Mm-hmm. And some of those kids went off to college. Mm-hmm. The ones that went off to college probably stayed two or three years. Then the ones that's probably gonna end up transferring. Mm-hmm. So for example, the ones that he got in Colorado. I'm pretty sure there's some good kids up there. I'm pretty sure they are, but it's over 350 colleges, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Am I right? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so that that means half of the kids that's in all these colleges, I guarantee you, out of all the NFL players from the 1970s all the way up to now, Dion got a hand on them personally. He got a personal hand on it to where he, it, it's a personal thing to where he's a help, help them get to where they at. For example, down here in Dallas, certain schools, colleges, Nick Saban, uh, Fish, all the guys that come down here, when they talk to these kids, they ask them what little league you played for, uh, what high school you went to, you know, all that right there. The mm-hmm. name pops up and, 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 and probably – Sixty-five percent of every conversation, every con. This is before he even went to Jackson. Mm-hmm. So now, when he went to Jackson, a lot of those kids followed him up there. So now that he in Colorado, a lot of more kids don't follow him. Now I can understand what you're saying about, you know, he could have did a better thing in Jackson and all that. But you, wherever you at right now, you might don't be there for a year or two. You might, you might get a better gig and. You might just leave. And I'm not saying that you're going to leave, but where you at right now might look, be a situation.
0: Look, brother, I'm in Mexico, and I ain't leaving. <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay. okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Look, yeah. look, look. You're in Mexico. Yeah. You're in Mexico. Yeah. But, but, but just think about this right here. Mm-hmm. You're in Mexico. And just think if you was a coach, and you've been there 10 years, Mm-hmm. And just think, if you coached half of the population, mm-hmm. and you had kids to fly down where you was at, mm-hmm. just think, even if you didn't play in the NFL, mm-hmm. and just think, you you made a little league program so good to where half of those kids progressed, and they went on. Mm-hmm. And just think about it. Think about it. now you went to a high school to go coach. Mm-hmm. And think about what you did in the high school. Mm-hmm. And think about you raising your kids in Mexico mm-hmm. around different, pla- different kids. Unfortunate kids are all type of kids. Mm-hmm. And just think, once you leave the high school, you go to a, D, a D, D1, D2 school, D2 school. Have those kids that you that that, that you enter their lives, mm-hmm. they going to have another opportunity to where you're going to end up giving them the opportunity if they progress and apply themselves. Now, just like if you go D one, you don't coach over thousands of kids mm-hmm. in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Now you with the University of Mexico, mm-hmm. your program go end up being one of the top programs in the in the nation. That's because of the effect of what you done did, and what 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 a lot of people fail to realize is Dion got more effect. And and I'm and I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna put it out there. Mm-hmm. Dion has more effect than a college recruiter coming in to get a five star kid. Guaranteed.
0: I, look, first of all, cool black. Like, thank you for calling. Is this your first time watching the show?
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. This is my first time tapping in, man.
0: Okay, and I well, like. It. Look, brother, I want I you don't to subscribe. Please subscribe. Keep watching the show. Leave comments. We we definitely respond to them. I want to interact with you some more. We we got to We got to wrap this Appreciate show. Up. That,
4: man.
0: Hey, peace out, brother y'all have a blessed day man hey thank have you a day. thank you very much first time caller i want to answer his question by saying this if i was able to coach a football team in mexico first of all that is a herculean feat because then people would try to beat the shit out of me I have a football in my house. I'm staring at the football right now. Cool black. I wish I you know, I always have these open invites because I know ain't nobody never gonna visit me. I wanted to take that football because there's some little kids that actually play. There's a park down by where I live, Pascal. And um these little kids sometimes play there and they, you know, they see me and something. And I bought this football, and I was like, oh, I'm going I'm to I'm play catch with these little kids. And then I realized, they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cool Black, if you want to come down to Baja, California, come down to Mexico and coach football with me, that would be the most fun, and I smell a buddy comedy right there. Me and you coaching football. <laughs> in in mexico pascal yes sir in closing we're going to close these phone lines out i want to first of all thank everybody for calling first time we had the phone lines open on the public show is it the first time we did this on the public show yes sir we've been talking about doing this on a saturday that's going to be real scary on saturday this is the most people we have watching the red zone really oh my god we usually have a small handful of people either it was deon sanders or it was pascal robert i don't know maybe it's a little bit of both i'll take it this was fun this was a lot of fun we're going to come back next week we will have dylan rodriguez back when we come back we will have mac the co-host when we come back so it will be a fun show can we get cool black to come to baja and we put together a football team. That is the real question and challenge. Pascal, what do you have to say about Dion? This is a
1: great show, man. It was an interesting subject matter. The whole angle about the racial politics, HBCUs, institution building—serious subject matter.
0: It is serious subject matter because, uh again, I think Dion could have done more if he stayed in Jackson. Um, was he going to do more? Probably not. Uh, we'll say this also in closing about Mississippi. I was on an oil rig the day Steve McNair got killed. Do you remember Steve McNair, Pascal? Yeah. Got killed by his side piece. <clears throat> and it was a predominantly white rig I was on. And a lot of guys were from Mississippi. And these dudes were weeping over Steve McNair dying. oh. Mm. And a handful, handful, very small handful of black dudes. And everybody was like, dude, Steve McNair was the coolest guy. Everybody was real kind of beside themselves because they just felt like this great ambassador of just their area also had died. And then I went, what about Brett Favre? (laughs) (laughs) All of them was like, man, fuck Brett Favre. Wow. They hated Brett Favre. Hated Brett Favre. Oof. Strong McCallum's in the chat saying that he went to school with Brett Favre's daughter. You know, maybe, maybe you know, tell us about that. Strom was the people really hate Brett Favre. So much? I mean, These people hated Brett Favre. Love Steve McNair, hated Brett Favre. I always found that real interesting. So will Deion Sanders get the Brett Favre? I mean, he didn't steal money like Brett Favre, but he also has some scandal behind him too with his, his charter schools. But as the caller said, Maybe people look beyond that because of the work that he was able to do with these these kids in football. I don't know, I don't know, but it is a very interesting discussion. You guys agree with this? You guys disagree with this? Your opinions on the situation, your opinions on historically black colleges in general, college sports in general, leave them in the comments. Should Pascal wear the blue shirt more? <laughs> He looks like thugged-out Pascal, like it's crip all day. That's what you look like. Crip all day, Nick. (laughs) Thank you guys very much. Again, thank you guys all for calling. Should we make this call feature a permanent feature on Beyond the Red Zone? I'm down. I know Mac is down. I love hearing from you guys. Should we do that, Pascal? It's up to you, man. All right, well, we are out.